Good afternoon. Welcome to Zoe Community Church. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. We want to welcome you if you're new or visiting. We're glad you're here with us. Today, we actually have a very special thing going on, something that's only happened one time in the life of our church ever, um, but hopefully we'll do it more. Um, and the, the last time we did this, it was back in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you guys remember that, that's when we were preaching through Matthew. That was like 17 years ago. Um, so today we have a guest speaker. It's my friend, um, and former classmate in seminary, Daniel Schubert. He's right here. If you're wondering who has the mic, I'm going to call him up in a second, but I just want to tell you a little bit about him. So me and Daniel, we went to seminary at the same time. We started in the class of, I guess we started in the class of 2013, but we started in 2010. Uh, I think it was the biggest class that masters ever had or ever has had. Um, so I didn't actually know him that well first when we were in seminary. Um, but then after I graduated, I went to the master's university to do a master's in biblical counseling. And lo and behold, Daniel was an instructor there. So he had advanced far beyond me and his other peers uh, in the study of the word. Um, and he got his doctorate at the Southern Baptist Seminary in biblical counseling. And he was teaching. He actually graded some of my homework. I asked him if he remembered. He said no. Which is probably good, right? Because then it means it wasn't that bad overall. Um, it wasn't heretical. But uh, Daniel, he's from Texas originally. Then I met him out in California. He moved back a couple of years ago, right, 2019, uh, to be pastor of counseling at Countryside Bible Church over in South Lake. Some of you guys know that church. Some of you are even from that church. Um, yeah, don't don't tell Daniel about that if you see him. Just introduce yourself. Um, but we asked Daniel to come speak. Uh, on biblical counseling um, to kind of sow the seeds of what counseling is and and really what biblical soul care ministry is like, um, because we want to grow in this as a church. I know as a church, we love the word. Um, we're into expository preaching, explaining the Bible, um, but the Bible is sufficient for everything that we need for life and godliness, uh, especially one-on-one -on -one ministry and the things that are going on, the things that we struggle with, the things that are going on in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so Daniel's going to give us kind of a, what we call a lerman. So it's kind of half lecture, half sermon. So if you didn't get the notes, they're near the uh, the welcome table. They're on the table. Um, but he's going to kind of explain certain things to us. I think it'll be really good. It'll be a little different than what we normally do, but I think you, you guys will be blessed. And I think I could keep talking for like 20 more minutes and it would still be shorter than my usual sermons, um, but I'll stop now. So I want to call Daniel up if we could welcome him. Um, and then I'm going to pray for him. Thanks for speaking, man. Really appreciate it, especially because Eric's gone. All right, so let me pray for uh, Daniel real quick, and then he'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for Daniel uh, and his heart for your word, God, which is a blessing to me and an encouragement, uh, just that someone would dedicate his life um, to ministering to people who are going through some of the most difficult things. Father, I pray um, that you would speak through him. God, we're thankful that he is willing to serve us in this way. God, and I pray that you would use Daniel powerfully, um, really your word through him powerfully um, to grow us, to challenge us, and to bless us. Thank you, God, for your grace and for your provision. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, man. Of course. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for having me and church leaders. It really is a, a privilege and just a treasure of mine to be able to come and speak to you guys about such an important topic really to my heart. I absolutely love these truths 
as a counseling pastor of a church of about 1,500 people, I see a lot of people, and we have a lot of different needs. It's not unlike this church, I would trust. It's just a lot more in terms of volume. And I have never seen God's Word not directly speak into some of the most profound problems, not only everyday struggles, but even some of the most profound struggles in people's lives. And so that's why I absolutely love the truths that we're going to be talking about today. And so I want to give you just an introduction into biblical counseling and just understanding that uh, in light of soul care. So we're going to look at the need of biblical counseling and what biblical counseling ultimately is not and what it specifically is too. And I hope that encourages you guys, because as we want to take God's Word seriously and what it says, we want to, not only as pastors, but as a church, all have all of you guys committed to the ultimate sufficiency of God's Word, that you would, as you naturally counsel one another, which trust me, all right, if you're a parent, okay, you give counsel all the time, right? But even as we have friends, our, our spouse, maybe a neighbor. We have opportunities regularly, sometimes daily, if, if not weekly, to be able to speak into other people's lives. And so, as we think about our own counsel, we are counselors, but what is it that we're able to communicate to others? Does it really honor God? Does it come from the sufficiency of God's Word. And it's not only the sufficiency of God's Word, but the authority of God's Word. What counseling system, right, uh, is made up and comprised of the authority from God's Word, not just merely speculations, ideas, but really God's truth. That is the very one who made us, who shaped us, forms us, knows our needs, all the different ails of the human soul, and even himself came as a man and physically experienced life here. Who could relate better than that? And so as you look at his word, and as it defines all that happens in the ministry of counseling, I want you guys to be encouraged, just as I am, in the sufficiency of God's word to handle those things comprehensively. So as we do that, let's look at the need of biblical counseling and just really look at, at the overall big picture. We want to understand, as we look at Scripture, who the ultimate counselor is, right? God. And then understand who the counselee is, just looking at the whole picture of Scripture. And so turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Trust you guys are familiar with this chapter. The very verse, the very first verse says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And what this does, this first chapter does, is just walk us through the six days of creation. And the way that it's basically broken down is God creates first day, the second day, third day, fourth day, all the way through the sixth. And it's broken up by there was evening and there was morning. And that's basically how the flow of this chapter goes until you get to the sixth day. And something different happens. It's very interesting. Look with me at verse 26. I'm going to read those two verses uh, through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, and that's what's different. God did not speak to all the other 
uh, things that he created. But when man comes on the scene, he ultimately speaks to them. And he says this, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, why did God, I think it's important to say, ask the question, why did God not speak to all the other aspects of creation? The rocks, the the trees, the stars. And you might say, uh, maybe one of our kids would say, well, Daddy, it it doesn't speak. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, okay? So I'm used to those type answers. But I I think when we answer that question, the, 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 the more profound answer in Scripture is that the rocks, the trees, rivers, the stars did not need God's direction, that is His counsel, to glorify Him the way that He intended The rocks, stars, the trees, all of that just in being rocks and stars and tree ultimately point us back to the majesty and glory of God in just what they are, right? Springtime, the flowers are blooming around here, and we see those things are absolutely beautiful, and we're captured by the creativity and the majesty of God. But as we think about our responsibility as a part of or aspect of God's creation, We need the counsel of God and the Word of God to be able to fulfill the purpose that God ultimately has for us, and that is to glorify Him. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, it says that we were created, right, for the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, excuse me, 31, maybe a slightly more familiar passage, it says that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to do it all to the glory of God, and that's why God made us, and we need God's Word, His counsel, in order to do that, and that separates us from all other aspects of the creation. And even think about this to the context specifically, is was Genesis 1 before or after the fall of man? That is when man fell into sin and was corrupted in his moral, in his nature. It's before, and so it didn't God's counsel wasn't made necessary after the fall, right? All it, that did, the fall did, was to make his counsel, his word and direction, all the more necessary for us as fallen people, okay? Because now our natures, right, the, our, the thoughts, the desires of our heart would now, now that we're all in a post-Genesis 3 world, are going to oppose what God says in a natural sense. And so at the outset of our study, I want us to understand and to know really who the ultimate counselor is by looking at this first story of the first counsel that's given in the Bible, ultimately from God. And as we do that, we're going to really understand how our own counsel should be shaped, right? Are we to give counsel from our own wisdom, our own word, as we truly understand who the ultimate counselor is and who really ultimately deserves to speak into the life of his creation? Isaiah forty thirteen says this, Who comprehends the mind of the Lord or gives him instruction as his counselor? That's a rhetorical question that's obvious. I mean, the answer is nobody. Nobody can possibly give God counsel or add to his wisdom through our wisdom or instruction. Isaiah 9, 6, speaking of God, calls him the wonderful counselor. And so as we think about God ultimately as the counselor above all creation that should and has the right authority to speak into all of our lives, we want to keep that 
perspective as we think about speaking into the lives of other people. So God is the counselor. In other words, we simply are his ambassadors. We are sent by him as Christians, and we want to be faithful in that, to communicate his words, ultimately not ours. And so if we understand the counselor, we can understand who the counselee is as well too. The counselee ultimately is us, right? If God is the one who provides the counsel, we as his creation are ultimately counselees, right? We are, uh, it's our duty, responsibility to honor God by responding to the counsel that he provides us. We could talk a lot more about that, but I want to talk about one particular quality as we think about being good disciples or counselees that without, we absolutely can't be good disciples or counselees. That's humility. If Adam would have been proud when God originally gave his direction to him and Eve to to rule over the creation, in a very real sense, he, he asked Adam to be a gardener. You guys remember that story? And if Adam was not humble, okay, he didn't want to listen to what God says and have his word direct his life, Adam could have said, well, God, that's a, that's a really great idea. But you know what? I've really wanted to be an explorer. You know, I'm really thinking about making a raft. I'm going to jump on the Euphrates, and I'm just going to go explore the world. I'm sorry, but, you know, what your word says to me ultimately is, is, is not the most important to me. But a humble man, okay, among many things, comes up underneath the authority of God's word and is allowed to be counseled. And as we think about coming alongside other people, we have to be, in counseling them, we have to first be good counselees. That is, respond to God's Word as it relates to us, whether it's a Sunday sermon, whether it's our personal devotional life, whether it's a word spoken through our friend, uh, a truth that we reflect on in a hymn, that that should be what impacts and genuinely shapes our lives. And if we're humble, that's, we're going to have a greater opportunity and propensity to do that. And so that way we can turn towards others and be able to genuinely help them. As God has spoken into our life, we can relate that to others. And so just to ask, do you listen to what God is saying through his word? Do you listen to the truth that God might be trying to communicate through other people? Do you have personally a time where you're pursuing God faithfully, devotionally, maybe not every day, but on a regular basis so that you can come up under God's word, God's counsel, and be renewed really in your mind and have your life shaped by all that God desires in your life. And so as we think about the need of biblical counseling, again, it is to glorify God. And so we need, as his creation, his counsel to be able to understand how he wants us to think and desire and to live in the direction that he wants our lives to ultimately go on a passage that's very similar to the one that we read in our scripture reading, this passage from Second Peter chapter 1. It's Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And as you think about good, good to who? Well, ultimately, right, good to God. That's what ultimately we want for our lives and how we want our lives to be shaped. Oftentimes, uh, when I counsel, since our church is so large, and uh, many times 
uh, it's the first time when I, when I meet with somebody that I've ever met them. I send out a questionnaire. Um, Jesse probably mentioned, remember the PDI kind of form. And so it's a personal data inventory form. And all it is is just some basic information to help me kind of get a context of what's really going on in their life and help serve them better. But one of the questions on there is, what is your expectation for counseling? And that's an important question for me as I seek to come alongside them and serve them because what I really want to do as their pastor is to take the Word of God, to understand their life, and to minister the Scripture to them in a profound way that genuinely helps and encourages them. But the overarching idea there is that it's going to be to the glory of God, to the glory of God. And as we glorify God, there's encouragement, there's blessing, there's help that ultimately comes from that. But so often I see, and again, it's not always wrong, but I'll see on that form, I want a stronger marriage, right? I want healing, I want mental health, something to that effect. And again, those aren't wrong purposes in and of themselves. But what do they want the most? What is really going to drive their life and what they desire most? Is it going to be the glory of God? And so as I come alongside them, as you would come alongside anybody who you're trying to encourage and counsel, right, who's a Christian, you'd want them to set as their foremost purpose, right? And whatever they do, whether they eat or drink or have a trial, or whatever God would bring across their path, that they're doing it all for the glory of God. And as a husband, right, if it's marital conflict, lives for the glory of God, and they look at then the model that God wants them to follow as a, as a godly man, and begins to live that out for God's glory, right, that is going to bring the strong marriage, right, that he was hoping for. And so we want to understand, hey, that's not bad purpose. That's a great purpose. That's exactly what God wants for you too, a strong marriage. But ultimately what he wants foremost for you is to be driven, right, as a highest priority to bring glory to God. And that's ultimately the goal of all counsel. All right, so we've looked at a a need of counseling. We, We need it to glorify God, to fulfill the purpose God has given us. Let's also look at a definition of biblical counseling here. I could easily talk for two hours, I think, something like that. But we're ending at 2.45, is that right? 2.30? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 3.45, all right, here we go. All right, I'll set this so I have some idea of time here. All right, let's begin with what biblical counseling is not. Biblical counseling is not an autonomous ministry. That is a ministry apart or separated completely from the life of the local church. In other words, the model the Bible lays out does not follow the common secular model. Biblical counseling is not isolated from the local church, but instead an essential part of the life of a church. And so the problem here is that when biblical counseling ministry is removed from the church itself, it removes itself from the oversight of the local church, okay? And as you just look at the Ephesians 4 model of ministry, really what God has done there is to give the shepherding of souls, that is the responsibility of counseling primarily, right, to, uh, uh, to the shepherding responsibility of pastors. And so 
this should be done in the, the process of the local church, the context of a local church. And so that as those men who are gifted, right, to lead God's church, to teach, have been equipped to do that, they are ultimately equipping other members, right, all the members of the local church to be able also to do that ministry uniquely. And so as a pastor, I'm going to stand before God someday. I'm going to give an account to God for the uh, the way that I've carried out and stewarded my ministry, the way that I've cared for and come alongside people who are hurting, who are in difficult circumstances, and how I faithfully shepherded them and handled not only the situation they're going through, but also to God's Word and its specific ministry to them. And as a pastor, too, my responsibility is to equip the church as well, to come alongside each other. As, as a pastor, I feel the weight constantly to train people, and that's why I, I love that I'm here, because pastors can't often speak to every single particular need in the church. That's why we need every single one of you guys faithfully carrying out your responsibilities in that context. If you read Ephesians 4, it talks about speaking the truth in love in verse 15. If you want to read verse 14, just for time, I won't read it. But all of those scriptures right there, I think there's about four verses, two, uh, so 16 and 17, but it talks about the proper working of each individual part of the church and how in doing that, primarily speaking the truth in love, we are built up really into the image of Jesus Christ. And so a pastor or pastors in a church can't fulfill that in and of themselves. We need the local body of the church. But again, it's this is not an autonomous ministry, right? This is the very model that God has for us as a church body to carry out within the context. And when we remove it, I think there's some dangers. There's some concerns that can happen. Ultimately, we remove the accountability of the local church. Okay, so doctrinally, I was a business major at Masters before uh, really just feeling a call to ministry. And um, they told us when we were in business class. If you're planning to own your own business, think about working no less than 70 or 80 hours per week, making sure that you maintain that business. And so if you are trying to counsel people and maintain this business, think about how much time you're going to have left over to study the Bible. Okay? It's going to be a challenge at the very least. And that's why having a ministry like this within the context, not with outside of the context of a local church is so important because it's under the leadership, the doctrinal integrity, the faithful shepherding, and the opportunity that, that pastors have to really study the Word of God and to lead doctrinally. But also, too, it can remove yourself from the accountability financially. If you're talking about running a business, a lot of time, you know, uh, cash is king, right? As you think about your business, you open yourself up as an autonomous ministry to be driven in that business by financial decisions. Does that make sense? So think about it. So I think that's why it's, it's wise, not only because it's the model of Ephesians 4, but because it opens up this ministry to significant issues. The last one is, if you take biblical counseling, that is the ministry of the Word, and the care of souls out of the local church, what it also does is it removes an essential function of, of the counseling ministry, and that's the practice of Matthew 18. And again, as you guys think, you, uh, think of Matthew 18, you might think of church discipline. I really wish we could think of a better name to some degree than church discipline, because that's really the very last step. It's, it's really church restoration. And so that we are coming alongside one another, right, to confront sin where needed, 
If that person listens, it begins in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 15. If they listen, they see their sin that you're seeing, and they, they, they listen, they respond in repentance, you've won your brother. But from there, it says, if they don't listen, go get one or more to come with you ultimately. And so when one or more is to come with you, how could you do that in an autonomous ministry? I guess you could go get coworkers, right? Something like that. I don't know how sure, how balanced, you know, that would be. But this is where things begin again to just start getting more and more gray as you think about applying the, the, the ministry, right, of counseling specifically to a context outside of the church. And the last one is if they don't listen to that group of people, tell it to the church. And now clearly we can't do that at all, right? In an autonomous ministry, we can't go tell the church there's, there's no church, right? It's completely outside of, uh, of that authority. And so I think that as we look at biblical counseling, it is not an autonomous ministry. But biblical counseling also is not actively reserved for experts. I hope this point just encourages you too, because so often I think counseling in general is just given a very Gnostic sort of flavor, as if only certain people, certain types of people can do it, right? Those that have a PhD, right, in sociology or psychology can possibly come and understand somebody well enough and the word well enough, right, or, or their circumstance well enough to be able to encourage them to help them alongside, even in a difficult circumstance. And so what I'm advocating here is, is what the Bible teaches, and we'll look at Romans 15, 14 here in just a minute if you guys want to begin uh, flipping over uh, to that passage in Scripture, Romans 15, 14, is what we're advocating is ultimately a model that any believer willing to be a Berean, that is to su- that search God's sufficient word, can understand people well enough, that is, the, in the God who made people, what he says about us and who we are, and the, the problems that we face, and how his word defines them and speaks into them, that we can come alongside people and counsel them. And so, a mature Christian, is what I'm saying, can be equipped to give biblical counsel. And so, counseling ultimately is not a field that's reserved for just somebody with a PhD in sociology or psychology. So, if you guys are at Romans 15, 14, let me read that passage for you here in just a second. And Paul here is, had just written in chapters 1 uh, through 11 about the gospel. Again, this is a church he, he'd never visited, and so he spent a long time explaining the gospel. And then in chapters 12, up into the verse that we're going to look at now, Paul encourages, he teaches the church but this, this church was a mature church, and so Paul says these words to encourage them after just having exhorted a church of people that he'd never met. Verse 14, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish or counsel one another. And so what Paul is saying here is a person who is filled with goodness, that is goodwill, that they genuinely love and care about people, okay? That's a heart ultimately that's shaped by the truth of God's Word, right? That has the compassion of Christ and that are filled with God's Word, that is God's wisdom, is now able and competent through repetition. That's what that word able means, competency developed through repetition, that you can admonish or counsel one another. And so he believed 
right, after just admonishing the church in different ways, that they themselves, he was just saying, I know that you're mature. Other places it says that their faith had gone across, right, the whole world, that people knew about it. And so he was just wanting to say, I know that you're able within the context of your local body to do this with one another. And so again, it's not just reserved for experts. Someone then who knows God's word has had his word shape their character, ultimately can develop competency to counsel others biblically. If you guys are interested in that that idea, that concept, I know a lot of times there's uh, those out there who've been trained in psychology, sociology, those type fields, hey, that's a, a great background to a large degree. There's a book called Competent to Counsel. If you guys are curious about, about this topic, and that is God's sufficient word as a comprehensive counseling system to be able to speak into the lives of people well, this is a great book, Competent to Counsel by Jay Adams. Uh, John MacArthur, if you guys know him, read this book in 1985 when it came out and ended up doing away with their psychology department and building a biblical counseling department there. And that's really where it started back in the mid-80s. And so biblical counseling is not an activity reserved for the experts only. It also, too, is not an optional ministry. As we look at different ministries in church, and we can have potlucks, coffee shops, ski trips, things like that. Those are optional ministries, most definitely. The, The Bible, in other words, doesn't specifically command that we do those things, even though they can be fun and great in many different ways. But as we think about counseling ministry. This is very much what God says should be a part of the the everyday life of the church. We mentioned Romans, excuse me, uh, Romans 15, uh, 14, just a moment ago. You guys have that verse there, but let's look over at Acts 20, verse 20. Here it's Paul. He'd been at the Ephesian church for many years, and he was speaking to their elders and just simply going over, reviewing his ministry uniquely to them. And so this is what he says. Next 20, verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. And so we can see there was the public ministry of the word, but also, too, through the model of Paul's ministry, the private ministry of the word, right? In other words, counseling. Verse 31, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not seek, cease to admonish each one with tears. And so this word, admonish, is the same word that we saw in Romans 15 to 14, exact same words, the word nuthateo. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But ultimately, Paul came into the lives of, these, of the Ephesian church, and he understood what was going on in their lives so much that it moved him with compassion, moved him to tears. And he took that opportunity to minister the Word of God to them. And so ultimately, as we see his model, this is the model, not only as pastors, but as those who care about people want to practice in the everyday life of our church. And again, Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, right? We're to grow up into him that is Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to do is continue to speak the truth to one another, but in the sphere of love, that is to have that truth that we're saying motivated by love, 
right? Said in wisdom, to said with gentleness, to be said in a timely way, in a wise way, in a way that it's going to be most accepted by somebody else. So biblical counseling is not an optional ministry. Biblical counseling is also not an entity separate from discipleship. Biblical counseling just simply is an intensive or focused form of discipleship. That's really what counseling ministry is. Uh, Oftentimes when someone comes into my office, I'll just kind of help them understand what we're doing somewhat like the ICU. And so you're, you're kind of coming out of the normal flow and stream of church discipleship. We're coming to have a, an intensive focus time where we can think through all the different issues and uh, aspects going on in your life and to encourage and help you over the next several weeks and months to get back into the flow, ultimately, of the normal just flow, everyday flow of church discipleship right? The fellowship of the church. And so that's why it's like an ICU, right? Someone doesn't ever plan to be in the ICU for six or seven years, right? It's just an, it's a, it's an opportunity to, to do intensive discipleship and help them in a specific area. At our church too, we call our counseling ministry, discipleship counseling. We want people really to understand that it's not just about making them feel better, but ultimately helping make them better, more effective followers of Jesus Christ. As you say, discipleship counseling, you have to ask the question, disciple of who? Right? Disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately my desire is to open the Word of God and to help the people that I meet with become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, biblical counseling is discipleship, but even as I meet with people, I'm thinking of the specific needs that they have that is in discipling. Maybe they're afraid The Bible speaks profoundly to our anxieties and to our fears. Maybe they're depressed. The Psalms talk profoundly about the downcastness of our soul and can speak into those issues significantly. It can help us understand what we feel, the way we feel and think the way we think. It has profound answers for that. But also, too, in a very general way, as I meet with people, I want to disciple them. That is, are they reading their Bibles? Right? It's such an important question, right? Are they, are they praying? Are they regularly attending church fellowship? Many times as people, people come to me for all sorts of different issues, you find that they haven't been going to church, they're not reading their Bibles, they're not in the fellowship of the local church, and they're wondering what's off, right, in their life. What's the problem? And so you almost always, uh, I give homework I really do wholeheartedly believe that I want, as we sit down and we talk for an hour, maybe two hours, that's not the magic hour in a lot of ways. I want to give them work so that they can continue, right? That the very things, the very truths that we've talked about can get down into their heart. They can meditate on them, think about them. And so I give them homework. And one of the very first things always that I give is a time in God's Word. It doesn't have to be every day, but just regularly. And so they're in the Word, they're thinking about it, they're meditating on it, they're applying it to their life. And so very much counseling is in consideration of discipleship because I want people to establish these regular patterns of being in the Word of God. And ultimately, that is going to equip them to be able to think through. Maybe they're reading through Ephesians chapter 4, and they come across the passage on anxiety 
And instead of calling me in three weeks, they read that passage, and God profoundly uses it to help direct them and encourage them in their walk with Christ. And so I oftentimes don't give people a specific passage, read this, do this. If they're reading in Second Kings, hey, keep on reading in Second Kings. That's just fine with me. I want them, even as they leave our time together, to be able to continue that regular habit of being in God's Word. And so discipleship is what counseling is about. But even I want to be concerned more generally as well, too, of their walk with Christ so that even as they leave our time together, they're continuing to be strengthened in their relationship with the Lord. I think you guys have a definition of discipleship there. I'll let you guys read that uh, through. It was one that I put together uh, along with uh, Brad Clausen, who oversaw the, the men's ministry at Grace Community Church. He and I used to work together uh, in that ministry, and he's also a, a TMU professor. But you can just read that, and it'll, I, I hope, help you understand as we talk more about what counseling is here in a moment, how the two are int- intricately connected. Biblical counseling also is not an activity that is insensitive or uncaring. As you guys look at the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ, think about the care that he demonstrated for people that he came across. Remember the death of Lazarus? You guys remember that story? He comes up to Mary and Martha. They're weeping. He was just about to raise him from the dead. And he sees how they were moved and weeping for their brother's passing. And he's moved with that as well, too. He's moved with compassion. He feels, right, is burdened with the same thing that was going on in their life. And he genuinely cared for them. You can see this in other parts as a large crowd came up to Jesus as he got out of his boat at one point. He was going to get away from the crowds, and all of a sudden, here comes a huge crowd. It's Matthew 14, 14. John the Baptist had just died. He gets out of the boat. If I saw that big crowd coming, I probably would have been tempted to go run and hide, all right? But Jesus sees them, and he sees them as sheep without shepherds, and he's moved, right, to go and minister to them and help them, even though he himself is weary and extremely tired. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And oftentimes, as we have counseling opportunities, people don't come to us and say, hey, can you counsel me? They'll just come and they'll start sharing something that's on their heart that's difficult. They're, they're casting their cares on you, right? A very similar way that's happening here. And what does it say that God does? God cares ultimately about that. I love that aspect. Isn't it neat to think that the things that burden and concern our heart, that our God, with all all of who He is and the responsibilities He has, cares about what we care about. And as we think about coming alongside other people and ministering to them, their concerns have to move our heart with compassion too. If, we're, if we haven't felt compassion, if we don't love people, we're not ready ultimately to minister the Word of God to them. Does that make sense? I remember just early on in my ministry, <clears throat> I would pray every day. Every day as I'd meet with people, it was, it was a lot, just hearing so many problems, difficulty, uh, situations I'm not really involved in. I'll hear for them for an hour or two, but then they'll move on just continuing to pray it. And I just felt God overwhelmingly answer those prayers over and over because certainly that's God's will is that we would love and care for and be moved by really what moves people in their lives. All right, let's look at what 
biblical counseling is. I'll read the definition here. If you guys have it there, you can follow along. Biblical counseling is the spirit-empowered process of one Christian humbly and compassionately coming alongside another with careful consideration of all data, personal, situational, and medical, to lend applicable words of hope, admonition, and or practical help through Jesus Christ and His truth towards the goals of strengthening faith in one's relationship with God so as to live for His glory and His sufficiency with abiding hope, trust, peace, joy, and usefulness in His kingdom, even amongst difficulty. It's also towards the goal of assisting those we come alongside and assisting them to make specific, specific personal application of God's truth, His person, work, promises, perspectives, commands to their hearts, beliefs, affection, and will, their past, their current problems, sin and or trials, their daily responses and conclusions, and their behavior in the true worship of God. That is to live their life before God in a way that sincerely honors Him regardless of the circumstances. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. The last one is all in the permeating context of the whole gospel. It's hope, privileges, and obligations, employing all the God-given elements of change. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, repentance where needed, faith, the supremacy of Christ, mind renewal, the put-off, put-on principle, accountability, alertness of spiritual battles, the discipline of the Christian life, or disciplines, the eternal perspective with strategic involvement in the local body of Christ, another key element of change. And as you read this, and as I read it, you probably are thinking, gosh, that's a lot of different aspects, right, to consider how am I possibly going to come alongside somebody and be able to do this? And what I'd say is as you are just slightly, remember this is discipleship, just slightly more mature than somebody else, that would come alongside you, that you have the opportunity now to minister to them in all the profound ways that God has matured you, okay? doesn't mean you have to know everything perfectly, but you can convey what you do know, what you know will help, right? As you seek to really understand what they're going through, you know what God says about our needs in the Scripture, right? Maybe you've gone through a similar circumstance like 2 Corinthians, 1 verse 3 says, God has comforted you in that difficulty, and you can pass on that same, those same truths, that same comfort about who God is, His specific promises that you clung to that encouraged you in that moment. And so God brings alongside somebody in a very similar trial, like a miscarriage, or the loss of a spouse, or some other difficult trial. As we think about this, Let's look at what biblical counseling is and expand on it just a little bit more. Biblical counseling is God-centered. If God ultimately is the counselor, then it has to center around who He is. That is the, the Word of God and the God of the Word. That's where our counsel should ultimately originate from because all counseling systems, all counseling systems have a source of authority and a source of truth. And we as Christians have to make the determination in a termination who we are going to look to, 
right, for the source of our counsel ultimately. And so as we approach counseling, we want to, we want to remember that God is the counselor. And so as we counsel others, we want to make sure we don't do it with our own wisdom, our own preferences, or any other human reasoning. First Corinthians says that the wisdom of men is ultimately foolishness to God. And so all, and since all counseling systems begin with the source of truth, ours ultimately has to be God or it will change everything that we do. It's going to, it's going to change how we define the problem, right? In our lives. Is it sin or is it something else? Is it the, the, the fallen, uh, uh, creation, right? The difficulties that come upon our lives in those aspects or is it the sin of others potentially? Is it the trials and the suffering that can come because of the results of the fall, right? As we understand that. Do we understand God and who he is particularly? Do we understand the goal of life? If, if God ultimately is not the one who's defining our system, right, of counsel, then we're going to have different goals, right? It's not going to be Jesus Christ. Right? We're not going to look at him and understand that as the perfect man, as the one who perfectly pleased God. Like we learn in Matthew 3, as Jesus came up out of the water of baptism and his father looked on him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If we don't have the Bible defining who we want to be changed into, whose likeness we want to be changed into, right? we're going to choose some other goal. Right? Many times in counseling system, it's to be normal. Right, whatever that may be, it, it may be some other subjective opinion that that counselor individually wants to see happen in your life, particularly whatever their judgment, right, determines. That we want to have God ultimately, a God-centered approach to counsel so that his word, as it speaks to all the varying elements of all that we would say that we need to counsel people well and all the various problems that they have, that God ultimately is the ultimate authority in that. And as his word speaks to it, that we want to think that way about counseling and everything that happens within it and not accept another opinion that directly contradicts God's word. All right. Biblical counseling also is neuthetic. We looked at that word in those two different passages earlier. That's Acts 20, verse 31, and Romans 15, verse 14. And this is a compound Greek word, uh, neuthetic, comes from the word uh, neutheteo. And like I said, it's compound, so it's two Greek words ultimately put together. Uh, The first one just means mind, and the second one means to put into the mind. And so that's ultimately what we want to do, is to place sense into the mind. In whose sense? Well, God's sense. We want to admonish or counsel or encourage to help people understand their circumstances and the way that God wants them to respond to them very specifically. And so counseling is neuthetic in that sense. Originally, that's what biblical counseling was called. It was called neuthetic counseling, but understandably, nobody nobody knew what that meant. And so they uh, ended up changing it to biblical counseling. And now it seems that a lot of ministries, regardless of whether the Bible is the sole authority in their counseling system or not, have called themselves biblical counseling. And so it it might be necessary the next year, two, three, who knows, to start calling it expositional counseling. Uh, 
We're just like our sermons are expositional. That is, that the truth is drawn up from God's Word, and it is taught, right, so that we can understand what God says in all, like, from, from Genesis to Revelation, that ultimately counseling is going to be that as well, too. We understand people, and then we take the Word of God, and we're able to exposit it into their unique situations as it's applicable. And so that's our goal as a biblical counselor, is to encourage, that is to speak truth into somebody's heart, that is their mind to transform their thinking, their, their thoughts, desires, and behavior. And so biblical counseling also, too, the next one, biblical counseling discerns desires, thinking, and behavior that God ultimately wants to change. And we have to do that before we speak in their life. Uh, Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, he who gives an answer before he hears, it's to his folly and shame. And uh, that's a passage that I, that's, was pressed upon me tremendously as I worked at Masters. Uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, Stuart Scott. He's written a few different books. He's an employee husband. But he was my boss. And he just continually pressed this passage on my mind as, as I and, and he uh, pursued really uh, perfecting and growing in the ministry of biblical counseling. And again, it's he who gives an answer before he hears, it's to his folly and shame. And so if we're providing an answer to somebody about what's going on in their life before really understanding, likelihood that we're going to give a foolish response is pretty high, right? I think we've all been there, you know. Uh, we've you know, told some, something to somebody, they listened to a sentence or two, and they gave us some of their wisdom, and we walked away saying that didn't. That didn't help at all, you know. And so that's what biblical counseling is, is, is you want to discern the desires, the thinking, the behavior. And again, as counseling happens, it might be on the way out to the car, you know. It might be in the minivan as you're driving and your kids are in the back seat and you need to give them, right, some encouragement or help to think through. And so maybe at the, in the moment, you don't have time to be able to sit, sit there and ask all the questions that you might need to ask to understand these different areas as well as you'd like to. But the better able, the better able that we're, the more able that we're, I don't know how to say that, the, uh, the more that we understand the context that people are in, what they're going through, and how they are particularly responding, that is thinking about it, and the desires that are going on in their heart, we are going to be able to more profoundly minister to and encourage them right where they're at. And so biblical counseling, again, discerns the desires and thinking of the heart and reaches down to that level in a way that helps change us, not just in a behavioral type of way, but in, our, in the deepest recesses of who we truly are. Over many years of psychology and the development of it, there's been many different forms, many different kind of leaders in the movement. Right now, one of the most popular forms of psychology is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think they've gotten as close to some degree to the Word of God in terms of its ministry, all right? But without the Scriptures, they leave out fundamentally important aspects of who we are, ultimately. We were made by God and made to relate to Him, and ultimately that's not a counseling a consideration in their counseling system. But even beyond that, we have to ask what drives our hearts. If we were made to glorify God what primarily drives our hearts as people is worship. It's worship. 
And Romans 1 tells us that even if we're not worshiping God, it doesn't mean that we stop being worshipers. It says there at verse 25 in chapter 1 that those who turned away from God, right? They didn't stop being worshipers. It says they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And so we don't stop worshiping. That is how God made us to live for his glory. And our thinking and desires are going to be driven by that. And so biblical counseling, that is counseling that comes from a right understanding of who we are, right? As, as God has made us and designed us, who would know better? And so we can actually speak in a way that is significantly more profound and connects to genuinely what drives people in a way that even the most advanced cognitive behavioral therapy or techniques that uh, people use in the secular world. And so I hope this makes sense as an aspect of biblical counseling that it addresses the desires and thinking, but also to the behavior. Why this is important also, and just the last idea here is Proverbs 4 I believe it's uh, verse 23. It just says, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. And so it's out of our heart really that guides and directs all of who we are. And so as we biblical counsel others, we don't just want to give them wise communication principles, right? Or do this, do that type of thing, but really understand what genuinely drives their heart. If you see a marriage that's in turmoil, Right, And the husband comes home and he's not parenting his kids. He's not shepherding them. And there's, there's conflict between he and his spouse. Understanding what's driving that sort of behavior is going to help you minister to him uniquely in his context. You could have 10 guys that are doing the same thing in some way, but what is going on in their heart is going to be profoundly different. Let's say for this one, what drives his heart is wanting just to relax. I just want to have things be easy, right? And I can tell you as someone who lives in a fallen body in a fallen, difficult world where work is hard, right? Sometimes coming home, okay, and, and having to, to, to be prepared, right, for your second job, right? The most important job, leading your family, right, as a man, oh, that can be incredibly challenging, right? And so in this instance, me understanding by asking good questions to see that this man's heart is driven by comfort, Right, would help me more profoundly be able to speak into his life very specifically where God speaks to that issue in particular. Biblical counseling also uses God's word by the Holy Spirit to change desires, thinking, and behavior. I'll try to go quickly here. I think we're a little bit beyond our time here. But something that's been impressed upon my heart and I hope this just really encourages you guys that just over the course of ministry, as I, I see so many people, sometimes I, I think right now I have about 40 different people that I'm meeting with, many different marriage conflicts, difficulties. But really what, what doesn't overwhelm me about that is knowing that the, the person ultimately who does the work of transformation is not me. It's not me that carries the ultimate burden. And it, it isn't any of you guys, as you think about parenting your kids, that is discipling them, counseling them, as you counsel your spouse or encourage them. But it's the God of the word who works, okay? That is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that ultimately makes the ministry that we do effective. Right? 
So you could look at passages like 2 Corinthians 3.18. Again, just because of time, I'm going to go through these. But it says, as we behold the glory of God, that we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. And so as we look at that, it's our responsibility to behold the glory of God. Often that's in church, as we're doing now to some degree. As we do personal Bible study and we see God, right, revealed to us in His truth and His Word. Right, that's our responsibility to behold. If you look at the, the, the verb there, we're the ones doing the action. But as it says that we're being transformed as we behold, that's an action that God does ultimately to us, that he's the one that does the transformation. And so our spiritual disciplines, okay, God's work in our sanctification does not make our spiritual disciplines uh, useless. What God's work does is make our disciplines effective. And so as we encourage people, as we challenge people, that's what biblical counseling is all about to a large degree, is that the, the most important counselor, the most important person in the room, as I'm ministering to and encouraging people, is not me. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit, right? That is our great God who wants to work in their lives. Sometimes I'll go through a bunch of passages and think, wow, that was great. I, I think that person is really going to do well. That was a great time. I'll have other people leave, and they don't change at all. I'll have, we'll have another time, we'll have, go through a couple passages, and they'll leave, and I'll say, oh, Lord, I, I forgot that one, and that could have been better. They come back, and God used those passages and their words so profoundly, I'm like, oh, Lord, this is great. It's just a, such a great reminder, really, who does the work of transformation in the heart of people, and obviously, as Christians, we know this truth as well. Biblical counseling also regular, regularly calls Christians to be God's kind of man or woman in the midst of their circumstances. I wish I could talk about this one. We could talk a whole sermon about this one very easily. But just basically, if biblical counseling is centered on the glory of God, what we want to do as we counsel others, as we even respond to situations ourselves, is not to worry first and foremost about our own comfort, about escaping the trial or difficulty, about feeling better, that can often be a motive, but being God's kind of man or woman in the circumstances that God has placed us. Being God's kind of man or woman in the midst of the circumstances that God has placed us. And what's so profound about this is when people come to counsel, that's what they want a lot of times is help me. But sometimes as we encourage them in God's word, their life actually gets more difficult. Right, the person who's at work, in a challenging work environment, being persecuted for their faith in Christ, as you call them and encourage them in how to respond, sometimes that means the persecution is going to get worse. As a, a spouse tries to live with their, with their uh, other, the other, you know, their uh, their husband or wife, and they are now trying to apply biblical principles to love and to serve and to care for their spouse. Sometimes that means that things gets more difficult. Right, And so are we going to, in our own counseling model, as we think about the goal, is it going to be glorifying God? Or is it going to be something else? Biblical counseling also seeks the sanctification of the Christian into Christ's likeness for the glory of God. <clears throat> this is really, again, what biblical counseling is all about, is, is the glory of God. As we see Jesus Christ in who he is and all his glory as we behold it, as the word is preached, as we study the Bible ourselves, as, 
as we're related God's truth, right? And it comes in contact to our heart and we see the glory of God. Who we want to be more than anything else is Jesus Christ, ultimately, right? And as we look at the difficulties, right, that we find ourselves in, responding to all the trials and difficulties so that we grow into greater Christ-likeness helps us profoundly to address all those different issues very specifically and practically. Very last thing. Over the last uh, year or so, I had to calculate how many hours of counseling I did because I was applying for a become a a fellow with a biblical counseling organization so that we can have an official training center at our church. And it was over a thousand hours. And I thought, oh, oh my, it's a lot of counseling. And it just encouraged my heart because there was never a time where someone related their problem, whether it was related to some medical difficulty, okay, whether it was a, a panic attack, severe depression, suicide, whatever the concern may be, where there were not profound and clear answers from God's Word to equip their soul, to encourage them, and to genuinely help them. And again, that's why biblical counseling is about being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Who else could understand who we are, the problems that we faced, and cares more about us and has provided a sufficient word to be able to think through all the things that concern the human heart, that is the human soul, and provide genuine solutions, a methodology for working through those issues to the glory of God. As we close, let me just pray for us. Father, we're just so thankful for your word. We're thankful for just this ministry, ultimately, that you have not left us alone. You're not a, a, a deistic God. That is, that just winds up the earth and just lets it run, God. But that you care intimately and that you're involved with your, your, your creation and that you provided a sufficient word to encourage our hearts in just profound ways. And I pray, God, that those here, that as they think about their own ministries into the lives of their kids, into the life of other church members, their spouses, that, Lord, that you'd greatly encourage them in the sufficiency of your word to handle problems, and that ultimately, God, that would be uh, the joy of their heart. Lord, we love you and pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.